Welcome to Bubbling Up with your host Joe Sori and Steve Ramosi. We're going to be talking comics and comic-related stuff, and you're going to listen to us talk comics and comic-related stuff. Look, this is how podcasts work. I don't make the rules, okay? Anyway, you get what anyone gets. You get a comics podcast. Hey there, funny page folks. Welcome to Bubbling Up, an adult conversation about the wide world of comics. I'm the Morty of this timeline, Joe Soria, along with the ridiculous Steve Armosi. Wubble up a dub dubs. <laughs> On today's show, uh, we'll be doing the conclusion of our third comic swap, the crime filled Last Chance Family Noir Postal. And then we will be covering finally, after many, many recommendations from many, many different people, uh, Rick and Morty uh, season one for myself. I know Steve is, uh, is, has, has completed it all and uh, is a fan. So uh, we'll be discussing that. And then if we have some time, we might touch a little bit on the new patent Od- uh, Oswald project via Marvel, Modoc, and a whole bunch of other stuff. So as always, uh, Steve gives us a little comic rundown. So let me let him take it away. Yeah, I've got a few things for this section. First one is kind of is pretty sad news, actually. Um, May 1st, uh, you know, we saw a bunch of reverberation through the kind of comics and artist world. But uh, the, the artist, uh, John Paul, uh, passed away at 49 from cancer. Did a bunch of Static Shock, Earth X, Batman Creature of the Night, The Winter Men, Sergeant Fury, and a whole bunch of other books. Uh, you know, he worked in comics for years. We'll put up uh, a link to his site, so if you want to check out some of his stuff, you can go there and, and take a look. But I uh, just wanted to give that a mention, so RIP, uh, John Paul Leon. And then the, some of the other stuff is kind of like TV news, <laughs> actually. TV and movie news. Brian K. Vaughn, and I, yet again, I feel like every month or every episode we talk about something for Brian K. Vaughn, even though we're still waiting for Saga to come back. But uh, Brian K. Vaughn, uh, in Brian K. Vaughn News, they just cast the four Paper Girls for the Amazon adaptation that they're doing mm. of Paper Girls, which I'm looking forward to. So they cast uh, none of these young women have I ever heard of, but Sophia Rosinski, Cameron Jones, Riley Lynellette, and Fina Straza to play the, you know, titular paper girls. And then um, actually Ali Wong was also cast. I don't think they said, at least in the article that I was reading, who she's going to play, but I assume. Are we going spoiler alert on paper girls? Uh, yeah. A, a variation, uh, a timeline of some sort yeah. uh, of maybe one of the characters, basically. Yeah, I think that's what it's going to be. So, you know, just so you know, uh, paper girls is a time traveling type thing. So, but yeah, so that's exciting. I'm looking forward to that. And then another exciting, uh, some more exciting news. I, I think I mentioned Bitterroot in the, maybe the first or second episode is something that I was reading. Uh, Regina King uh, just got tapped to direct the Bitterroot adaptation. So I believe that's going to be a movie, in fact. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that as well. It's a good weirdo sci-fi zombie, like steampunk in uh, set during the Harlem Renaissance. So it's it's a cool mashup of a whole bunch of stuff. And, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what she does with that. Um, kind of in the vibe of I didn't watch Lovecraft Country too much. Is that more of a horror vibe? I guess it's that's yeah, like that's, time, that's time period maybe like the twenties, thirties, teens, like throwback style. 
Yeah, yeah, it, it is like you know set set further you know set in the past for sure, but um, it's definitely more of like a cyber or a, a not cyberpunk steampunky vibe with you know fun weapons like sci-fi ish weapons and stuff like that. But we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens to that movie. But that that should be a good one too, I believe. And I mean, uh, she was on The Watchmen, and she was great in The Watchmen. And yeah. I'm just, I don't know if she had directed an episode, but I feel like she was definitely like a producer and. You know, she just got nominated for an Oscar, so yeah. headed off the Oscars. So um, definitely will give this some 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 pizzazz for sure. Absolutely. And then I just wanted to mention uh, some stuff coming up. Uh, I, I'm usually going to try and I think like maybe do this once a, once a month. So once every other episode, and I'll just mention the things that are coming up in the next month. So I did, I believe last episode, I mentioned Sweet Tooth and Loki are both going to be coming out in early June. And in July, we've got, I, I believe, the only like comic property that we've got coming out on any of the screens in July is Black Widow. And that's going to be out, out on July 9th. So, yeah, that's all your, now you're all caught up on all that stuff. All your fancy news. Well, that's, that's very exciting. I know that there was, which one, is there some animator? Is that the what if? That's not, that's a little bit later. So what if I it's a little bit later? I think that's okay. like fall. Or, All right. You know. So we'll have plenty on there. And we had, you've had some stuff to catch up on. And you know what? If there's less to watch, there's more to read. So that's what uh, we want anyway. Sure. So got through the news and the intro. So we'll just take a quick break and uh, we'll be back to cover Postal. All right, well, we're back to discuss my personal pick, Postal, which, uh, you know, obviously, if I'm making it a pick, I'm a big fan. Uh, I really do love my noir. And uh, since Steve is the first time reader, we're going to let him give the initial impressions and maybe a little script rundown, feedback rundown. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's uh, Books Postal, published by Top Cow, writer, uh, written by Matt Hawkins and Brian Edward Hill. Artist is Isaac Goodhart. Colorist on this is Betsy Gonia, and the letterer is Troy Pateri. So I'm going to give all of them their props first and foremost up front. And um, so we we just did the first four issues of this, which is the first trade, and um, it's a good it's a good introduction. It's very noir, very violent. <laughs> I'll give it that. There's a lot going on, but basically the story is. The main character, Mark, is you get introduced to him as like the postal worker mailman of this town, which you quickly find out is a town populated entirely by criminals who, you know, I I don't I don't think they fully go into the whole backstory of the town. I assume it's going to get like kind of laid out over the course of the series a bit more, but they are there because they've gotten some kind of uh the the government has given them some kind of like leeway to just like you stay out of our business we'll stay out of yours as long as they're not committing crimes or whatever then they just kind of get left alone so mark is the postal worker he is a character he's got asperger's which he talks about like right in the beginning as well and kind of talks about how it affects him but also how it makes him like good at things like detective work things that need concentration or like to pick up on on little details and and stuff like that and and you know you kind of see the world uh, in his eyes and then his mother uh laura i believe is her name uh is the mayor of the town and kind of runs it with an iron fist 
um, she kind of has this, uh, she, she kind of has to, like in a way it's, it's presented as though she has to run the town with this iron fist, because if anybody starts going back to their previous life, the feds will be all over them. And, and it's the end of, you know, this paradise for, for all these uh, criminals. As it turns out, as we progress to the books, turns out that she and uh, Mark's father, Isaac, I believe is his name, ran, initially ran the town, but Isaac started to show some criminal tendencies, I guess. And in order to protect the town, they tried to kill him. Didn't quite work out. He ran away. And, I was going to say they hung him. And I don't know if it's running away. I don't know what the answer yeah, to do. Yeah. <laughs> he yes, got so off I, the news somehow. Yeah. I think that's like the second uh, issue you find out that he's, so I'm not really like, I feel like I'm kind of doing spoilers here, but it's not a big spoiler. I don't think that he's comes back into the picture. Um, yeah, I think this is just the beginning. So, I mean, to me, when you spoil, this would be like spoiling the first 15 minutes of a movie. So, you know, right. that's pretty much what we're doing here. I, you know, I think if you, you know, we could give an overview, but um, yeah, I think you're, yeah. you're pretty much spot on. Yeah. Um, and then the only, uh, the person that, uh, that I wanted to, the other person I wanted to mention is Maggie, who is kind of a big part of Mark's life. Seemingly she's nice uh, to him, unlike a lot of other people in town, and um, she works at the the local diner. But uh, as you as we go through, turns out she has uh, some bigger dreams to uh, to kind of have a larger part in this town. And it's also discovered that she's got other other things going on outside of just. I'm trying to, <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't think we, you know, I, we can go into it, you know, yeah. otherwise it's going to get pretty boring. I mean, basically she's, you know, it's at the end, there's a cliffhanger in the second issue that she is uh, an FBI agent or right. not, she's working for the FBI. She's a turned, a turncoat, like infiltrating Eden. Um, and I think that's part of the best part of this book, honestly, is, you know, you're trying to dance around it, but they get through stuff very quickly. They don't just like make a mystery and then it lasts like nine issues and you're wasting like time and then walk around in circles. Like they don't, the, all these characters are basically are intelligent potential villains, except for maybe Mark, maybe not. He's the only one that's not a criminal potentially, but is this, the child of two major criminals, mm-hmm. um, you know? So he's kind of in theory, the, the purest compass with the the pure North. But I think a lot of what this is going to come down to is like, is he, uh, is he an agent of like the nature of his father and, and his mother to an extent as well, which is something they touch upon in, in this one, like, especially towards the end of that in like the fourth issue or whatever. And yeah, but I, I think there's a lot going on for a quick arc like this. Yeah, it's only four issues, and a lot happens in these four issues comparatively to some things we've read, mostly the six or even 12 issues, and you're just like, there's a lot a lot of spinning the wheels. And this one, uh, what I, I really, I think I appreciated about this is this is like a modern noir take that is horror-laden. You know, it's not just, it's detective story, but it's also brutal. It's It's realistic in like people at their last chance. You know, you're putting people at the point of desperation, which puts you in the best position to have like this, uh, extended drama and everyone there's a reason instead of like having forced drama there's kind of a reason for all of the drama because mm-hmm. there is da- there literally is danger around every corner and that starts from the beginning and you just see like a couple of children every time there's a child you're like there's gonna something bad's gonna happen here um but it, it is um there's there's so many me- mechanics going on there that i, I think I, I really really enjoy i mean 
this was a nice to read the, the first four issues again. I've read the entire first, I don't know if it's called the volume of the book. I think this only lasted about two years and I think they might've rebooted it or something like that. But it's very, very, like you said, very violent, very dark, but it's not flippant or really humorous about it. It, it takes that good, you know, the, I don't know if people maybe think the Asperger types part might be considered insensitive or not realistic or something, but it is that internal monologue. It's a good use case for someone being reflective, but not being like having full emotional intelligence. So they're aware, aware, but not able to, you know, they're not almost not able to lie to you, which is nice. Like you don't have a, a dumb narrator, but you have like an omniscient narrator that's a, aware, but has flaw, has a built in, I don't want to say it's a flaw because it's not a flaw, obviously, but has uh, uh, an emotional blind spots that mm. he has to like recover over, over, over and over. So reading those, I, I enjoyed uh, again, and I found them all very effective and very well written personally. Yeah. Yeah, it is great. I, I think there's, I think that the, the other series they were mentioning is uh, is like a, almost a series sequel like they do a later <laughs> type of thing after this one. But yeah, I agree. Like it's, it's, I think that it's done their handling of, of the care, like of Mark is done. Well, there no, no one's being like the only, I don't even know. Like, obviously it's the book's not making fun of him, but it's like showing the struggles and like uh, that, that are built into that with dealing with other people. And at the same time showing where his strengths are, where his weaknesses are like, you know, like anybody should be like any, any representation should be like, you treat him like a person <laughs> and that's the way that, you, you know, characters like that should be treated. Say so he's a full, fully developed. And within the course of the first four issues, I think he's, you know, fairly well-developed character already. So that's, you know, as much as I can, I think I can ask for in terms of that. And I appreciate then, that the mother didn't coddle him, though. That's one of the best parts of the book, I think, in essence. Like, a lot of times you think he has an issue. And, well, it's a different, it's not the best part, but it's a different perspective of saying instead of this, it's it's a flaw or something. And that he has, she, she's trying to treat him as a normal person or even tries, it's like her and the husband or the the father, I don't know if it's a husband, Isaac, don't have that same like straight paternal. It's not the normal paternal, uh, maternal gene that's right. being reflected. I don't know if the normal mom makes their, her son, the postal worker in a town full of cr- all criminals delivering mail, literally going to every house of every criminal, putting them on the line everywhere he goes. But she, that set up this, the setup, you know, you know, we're, we're skipping the, a little bit of the part of the the villains themselves. You know that you you get so many already in these four, you know, four issues. A bunch of different villain issues and archetypes. Even the first ep- issue has this great cliffhanger of his a woman being murdered turns mm-hmm. out to be a daughter. You automatically have like this like buildup of this uh, random daughter that you know and that sets these family these are unique familial relations i would say um that i i appreciated them not being these kind of like stare purely stereotype either like love it or hate it but like very mixed experiences yeah i mean that's a good point and and i think also the that that kind of quick moving that we've been talking about has been like really comes from the fact that i think initially this was supposed to be a four issue miniseries yeah and then they got they sold out like the first couple issues and they were like, all right, let's keep it going. But that kind of stamps its mark on the rest of the series, I assume. And, and like, it's, it's nice to, okay, we're not going to have like slow 
issues. We're not going to have like, you know, uh, time wasted on this. I wanted to mention the art as well, which I thought was really cool. It's got those like dark scenes. It's got the, like, you know, that noir feel. Um, It's got a lot of that like shadowiness to it that I, that I really love in, in like these noir E type books and things like that. I forgot to uh, take notes on kind of how the panels work. Uh, I mean, they're pretty standard. Uh, they're pre- I mean, you know, there's some differential, but they're pretty like full pages and then like six or, you know, fours or yeah. you know, a mixture of like these, like they're not small, like baby ones for the most part, but they're kind of, there's a couple of the two and two and the one in the middle. There's a couple of overlays. The, the, I actually really, I think what you, the noir part I r- responded to more was the coloring, I think was actually better. The art itself was a little, it's a little plastic to start, I, I would say, or it's, it's a little, it's not bad. It's just a different style. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, it does have, doesn't feel as human, I guess. It feels a little more, I don't know what the word is, but kind of looks like a marionette sometimes, some of the characters, the way the faces are portrayed. Um, yeah. You know, so th- it's not as effective. I think this, to me, this book ran a little bit better on at least this section of it. And it, it gets a little bit different, a little bit sharper, I think, as it goes on. The, I like the covers, actually. The cover for the main, I don't know about if it's on the, the volume, but on the main book and a lot of the covers are actually very evocative and effective. I think noir and this like horror, you know, gothic-y type vibe yeah. always kind of leans into a lot of good style when it comes to that. But yeah, the, this, the, there's no major crazy layout stuff here. There, there's a couple of good things that are, are very filmic. I know there was an opening scene that I appreciated that were, was kind of, the, he's like, I think there was a broken piece of mail and he was opening it and it was like sh- almost like shot from different angles. So the angles were actually well done in a filmic perspe- perspective, I would say. Um, but the art itself, you know, it's it's not like a, a top shelf. We've read some, we're, we've been reading some pretty beautiful art pieces uh, yeah. of late. So um, this isn't best ever. I think the, actually the artist was changed on the on the sequel series. I don't change, but they did have a different artist on it, and that's yeah, like, yeah. You know, more than more than common. So I, I mean, you know, I think the notes. I think that Hawkins actually is the creator of Top Cow Comics as well, right? Is he the founder, right? And then I said I looked it up the Hill. I I didn't see. I think he has also Brian. Is it Brian Hill? And then it's Brian Edward Hill. I think he's done like Teen Titans and some Power Rangers, and actually he's like gone into like more a TV atmosphere. Which um, you know, I think those are some popular things. So this is kind of seemingly one of his earlier works, but it got his footing for this. I think well written perspective. Let's just say that's a pretty big departure too to go to something like this from like uh, Power Rangers and Teen Titans Go or whatever, but. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying, especially about the faces of the characters. It kind of reminds me of the faces from... It's another book I liked a lot, but the, the Clean Room kind of had mm-hmm. the same, like, almost pinched look to the faces or something. But, yeah, I mean, and, and you're right. It's, like, wrinkleless, uh, basically. Like, all the faces are, like, very, like, colored, but they're not very... Um, the action, they seem like they all have kind of plastic surgery almost you know yeah. or botox a little and, bit which and maybe we should give uh full credit to betsy gonia here too because i do enjoy the colors of this quite a bit so give everybody their due yep. um not to say that, that i thought the art was bad but you're right like it's not it's no like the seeds in terms of art you know like it's no data or something like that but 
No, it's not the it's not the highlight. It, it, it complements it well. It drives the story well. The perspective, I actually like like I said, the shots and the perspective were done pretty well. Those mm-hmm. these final the one thing that they have on I think all of them is that final page is the the one big page where it's usually like a lead into the next episode, a yeah, next yeah, next like issue that is splash page. Um, there are some really great dialogue lines that you know the the lettering was was good and they they had a change of perspective. They did a little coloring for the difference for the perspective. I think you get like these kind of you know a fair number of like badass women pretty very quickly you know it's kind of like a badass woman comic you know that the men are all kind of fools or at least like not fools but don't seem to be good people mark seems to be you know kind of uh you know developing but everyone else seems to be kind of you have the sheriff you have this uh native american type character that shows up that pops up a little bit later you've got this kind of like creepy guy in a trailer doing spying on everybody you've got her like giving this speech to one of the neo-nazis being let into the area and saying you know you don't move here for a second chance you move here for a last chance you know we're all sinners here that's the type of good noir lines that like Mm. it's not over it's not overdone and expository it's the exposition here is done pretty well in context like you do get thrown into the story pretty quickly which i always appreciate propulsive you know the line shining quickly shining shining quickly uh, on everything and and this perpetual action so I, I can't ask for much more for for what i like to read and i i blew through those four issues again it's also just i think a fast read some of the things we've been i've been trying to read lately i think have just been uh i was reading some neil game and some other things and it's just like it the, it's so dense that you know you almost have to like breathe after every panel while this one you just want to like keep flipping the pages i guess i got a couple good quick reads for you later on in our uh all right good all right so uh anything else we want to uh to touch on here other than uh, so i guess usually my final final question is uh so you did kind of say it but uh what's your interest level of reading a lot more like if you see a one to ten like if this was like on the shelf and you had ten ten comics that you know you you know in the other nine maybe you know, or not, not your favorite favorites, how would this lead to like, what would you? So of the, of the books that I have now on my shelf, just from this show (laughs) to, to read, this is probably the one that I could do the easiest. Like I, I, that I could finish off the easiest. It's just a quick read. There are short issues. They're not shorter issues, but like the, there's not a ton of dialogue or anything like that, that slows them down. And, um, they and, and it's not quite as long of a series. I think there's only like 26 issues or something like that. I think so. so that being said, it was good and I wouldn't mind finishing it off. I think it's 25 issues through the seven trades. So like, you know, it, I could get through it fairly quickly. And, you know, this is four. It took me maybe 45 minutes to read. Yeah. And you know, at that pace, I'd be done in a few hours. <laughs> you know, I could read this whole series pretty quickly. Um, and that being said, it was definitely good enough. Like, this was definitely, uh, the first trade definitely piqued my interest. Not like, you know, I'm, my mind isn't blown by it quite yet, but uh, it's still quite early. And uh, yeah, I, I would I would definitely pick this one up again and might do pretty soon, actually, and just kind of try to get through a bunch more of it. There's one or two, uh, uh, there's definitely one major plot line that I found very interesting that, that comes up in, in the whole the whole book. I mean, obviously there's a lot of them, but the, there's one that is is very well done. I think 
the connective, if someone likes to me, would be like a show like Banshee. I don't know if you've ever seen Banshee, mm. but Banshee is like this. Like I haven't, but I have to. But like criminal, <laughs> criminal town, you know, where like everyone's there's there's something wrong with everyone, and there's fast moving action, there's fights, and there's violence, and there's like hyper violence, but everyone's got a secret type scenario, but in a good way. You could do everyone's got a secret, and it could suck. And I think the secrets and the secrets almost don't matter sometimes, and it's more about um, him get you know Mark getting more learning more about himself through yeah. trying to solve these puzzles. As he, at the end, I think at the end of the third or fourth issue, he talks about like I'm good at putting the pieces of the puzzles together, you know. And I think that's where it cuts off, where there's like a, a missing girl. I want to say at the end of the fourth issue that it just kind of if it ended there, there would be no mystery of of that. So all right. Yeah, I, so, I actually want to quickly. Uh, it kind of reminded me. I don't know if you watched this, but Briar Patch when it came Briar out, Patch, uh, yeah, Rosario <laughs> Dawson. It kind of had that type of like feel, but a little uh, darker, I suppose. Um, anyway, yep, no, that's definitely a similar. The uh, the Southern fried gothicy yeah. uh, detective, badass lady, everything uh, scenario. So, all right, we're gonna take a a quick break, and then we're gonna come back and discuss Rick and Morty. All right, we're back, and we're going to be going through season one of Rick and Morty. Uh, I I did miss one episode, but I did make it through ten episodes of um, the trials and travails of the crazy-haired grandpa Rick Sanchez. And I don't is Morty a is on as Sanchez? I don't even know what the last name is. So, but uh, yeah. Jesus, why can't I think of it right now? <laughs> but whatever it is, uh, Morty and his family, his. Uh, D- a silly dad, a goofy dad, and uh, I don't know if it's doting mom, but a daughter, and then a sister, Summer. Um, I guess they go on adventures, and the adventures are all in space-time continuums of some sort, and you get kind of a reference to some kind of other sci-fi property, or at least 15, probably every episode. This is um, the type of show that, honestly, I just don't watch much, because I, I know this stuff, but I don't I don't think I get enough. I get some of the influences and maybe I'm just not as super nerdy enough to get all of them. And then it's so fast that I feel like I'm missing something or, and I, and I don't go back to pay attention to it, but it took me, I, I definitely tried this about two years ago. I listened, I watched a few, one or two episodes and I didn't really respond well to the voice acting of the main two characters. I didn't really enjoy uh, the Rick burping festival and the drinking and everything else. So I just put it back on the shelf and I did pick it up again here. I try to give it a good serious run. I actually read some of the Rick and Morty comics, which I had told Steve and many other people that I actually enjoyed the comics. So maybe in my head, I had different voices that I was expecting or, or wanted and found it almost to be kind of like off brand. And that's like fine of the feel of the show. It's scattershot off brand off like even in the last episode I was just watching, there's like a joke, like almost on off camera in passing, like one of they're at a party and you hear someone's like, she's like, Oh, I'm not really into Bukkake or something like that. You know, that's the type (laughs) of joke that just pops up. You know, it's not even a joke on screen. It's like (laughs) in the audio track, we've got to slip in a Bukkake joke, you know? So, yeah, I mean, so Steve, give me the pitch of, uh, give me the, uh, give me your pitch or your, you know, why you enjoy uh, Rick and Morty so much. Yeah. I, 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 
you know, I, I've kind of heard this described and, and describe it myself, I guess, as like Back to the Future on crack. And like, you know, clearly Rick and Morty are modeled after Doc and, and Marty from Back to the Future. But they, the, uh, what I love about this show is that it really tries to kind of mess with the standard mode of storytelling. Like it's, it's trying to, you know, it, it, it runs on a, it really does run on, on a pretty tight, um, but within that formula, it's kind of like, all right, now we need to, now we're going to make like the, all these meta jokes. Now we're going to like take the thing that you thought was a, a positive uh, aspect of, of this character and make you realize how shitty it is for people to act like that. And like, you know, Rick in, himself in the show is just kind of a terrible, <laughs> terrible, terrible person. And um, I kind of, really enjoy how it just calls him out on that time after time after time. And, uh, you know, to this day, there are, there are all these, you know, Dan Harmon kind of talked about it a lot, but like, there's all these fans that are like completely missing the point. Like, Oh, Rick Sanchez is my hero type of thing. And it's like, no, the, the entire point is you have to realize like how terrible this fucking person is and how much he screws his family over all the time. So like, you know, I like a show that's, that's willing to, especially a comedy, uh, you know, Dan Harmon's always kind of done comedies like that. I like with community, he loved the meta aspects of it, but also he really likes to kind of bury a lot of heart into, into these shows or just seem kind of like wacky and zany on the surface. But you know, there, there's an episode in season two, I think where, where it's not like a big deal, but like, you know, this shows how many years old at this point anyway, but there's an episode in season two where he, Rick tries to kill himself and it just, the only reason he fails is because he's so drunk and like miserable, you know, you know, going into all that stuff into how much this, like how, how people are affected by the things that they're doing even much later on and stuff like that. Like in the, in this, in this season, in the first season, there's the episode where they completely screw up the world and leave and go find a world where, they've just died and they just take the place of these other two. And a couple episodes later, you get to see how that's affecting Morty's like state of mind or whatever. So it does talk about all that stuff, which is kind of where I think it gets a leg up over a lot of other similar ish uh, or similar seeming shows. Like there's a show out called final space um, that kind of wants to have this vibe uh, I think it's like a Conan O'Brien thing or something. Uh, and then there's actually Justin Roiland does another show called Solar Opposites, which is pretty good, but it just doesn't reach the same level as um, as Rick and Morty. I don't think, in in my opinion. So that's kind of my that's my pitch <laughs> or my my brief synopsis of all that. So the, so those are the if you if you were doing your your toe dip into let's call this like yeah, not extreme comedy, but like it's like. I don't know. It's like hyper, hyper real, uh, animated storytelling. Would this be your your toe dip? Because this seems is very is very like you're saying. It is not just an acquired taste, but it's a it's more than it's it's like a taste. You know, yeah. there's a lot. 
there's a lot of infantile humor, but there's also definitely hard in there. There's a lot of like inside jokes. And then a lot of like, you have to love baby humor, like making like noises as people's names and like meat moops and beep boops and bopsorps and vivlops. And, you know, like just whatever word comes out of your mouth, that's the name of the new alien. You know? I think that's kind of a dig on like how old school sci-fi used to just name aliens, the weirdest shit they could think of. And like, or not even the weirdest shit that they could think of, like the laziest shit that they could think of, like whatever it comes up first. Let's just call them yeah, the Galapagos. And also, I, I think at one point in the show, I don't remember. I guess it's not the first season because I don't remember it. But like they talk about like, oh no, no, there is. It's, he's, he talks about how like words don't actually fucking mean anything. Like you know, it's not. Uh, and I think that's you know part of part of all that. And the other part is just he likes to the you know Royland and and Dan Harmon like things that sound silly <laughs> and naming things that, that uh, which I don't blame him. I think it's a pretty good joke a lot of times or a, a decent joke a lot of times. But in, in addition to that, it will, I guess if your question is, would I, would this be the one uh, of all the similar types of shows? Would this be the one that I would recommend to people yeah. uh, to start off on? Probably. Yeah. I'm trying to think of like other stuff. Like I, I look at like the older stuff anything family guy or earlier has like a completely different brand of comedy you know right a completely different so i wouldn't even like those wouldn't even enter the same like the the only thing that kind of makes them in the same vein is they're both comedy and they're both animated but it's of the of the newer animated comedies i think this is like for, for me the best one and there's a lot of stuff that you can get that's deeper Mm-hmm. or you know like or easter egg or more easter eggy but i think it comes across pretty well on the surface i've shown a lot of people this that were not like big super dorks like me or like you know not big into animated stuff and pretty much everybody i've shown it to has, has liked it you know since since they started watching it so yeah i think this would probably be the one that i would that i would start people off with if i was going to go into that realm it leads into the we were just talking about with um, Postal, where it's like it is definitely a unique, a more realistic family dynamic relationship. There, the, I don't want to say there aren't there are seemingly are in comparison to let's say like a Simpsons. I don't know if it's consequences, but people do die or disappear or get replaced. There's a lot more risk. You know, it definitely has more straight risque. There's a lot more like teenage boy humor versus like a 10 year old boy humor um a lot more things about rick and his uh, i know morty you know as well in his growing up and being in a nerd and you know just the episode you told you know i guess i was kind of like he- heading to an end where i was like okay i'm at eight episodes here i'm i'm okay i i, I get it and i just don't know if, if two more is going to do it for me yeah i did uh get to the 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 I don't know what what you call that episode, the one where there's a thousand thousand Ricks and a thousand Mortys, and they're covering they're covering the globe or whatever with a bunch of sta- the, the weapon that they the stabbing constant stabbing, and then there's just a video of just his butt on a thousand different yeah. screens and the blood <laughs> being stabbed out of him. And you're like, okay, this is a um, this is aggressive, um, but it is also very very in- it's very in- I mean the show's intelligent. I'm not going to say it's not well done, intelligent, unique. Um, for what it is in at least from my perspective um and 
but I, I just definitely not for everybody. Um, it's definitely yeah. um, a, a specific type of taste. And, and yeah, I think the voice is also, is, is it just a style, like a choice? Like it does feel that it's very, um, what's the nicest word? Like, I know it's not because one of them is a creator, right? But it feels like B movie, yeah. like on purpose. It doesn't feel like it's like back to the future. The point is it's like prime beauty. Like, uh, you know, it has this like style where it's like, it is silly and over the top, but it's also made with like the style of like a fifties movie almost like it's very well-made. And this is kind of like leans onto it being like schlo- schlocky, you know, yeah. in essence. Yeah. I mean, it, it does have that. It actually gets better. I think like they, they kind of lean away, they go away from like the burp burping constantly later on in later seasons, which I was, I like because that like, at some point it stops being a joke and starts being like just distracting, <laughs> especially in this first season. Um, yeah. Like you should go to rehab. I, I know you're a very intelligent person creating a lot of things, but maybe you should, uh, maybe you have a problem. I don't know. Well, there, I mean, that's go to the, do- they, go to the doctor. One of the other. They absolutely get, get into that and like okay. stuff like that. So like the, you know, there's therapy episode later on and, and all this stuff. And, and you know, they, they have, characters there a therapist that kind of just picks rick apart (laughs) because it's so obvious that like his own specific problems that he has with the closeness like family and all this stuff but it's uh, i don't know i I agree it's i think it's really smart Uh, one of my favorite shows that's coming out right now next season's coming up soon so for all you folks the listeners who are watchers of rick and morty get ready for and, that I think yeah, and they're making at least 70 more i guess i felt like this was one of those shows i don't know if it was on didn't get it seems to have been a slow burn on making them i'm not sure what the yeah. if like they were not popular i know they were on all the different type of things they're on adult swim this you know felt into the adult swim level and and i don't want to go over and over again but i definitely have a love for much adult swim but it might just be the connective tissue of when i watched it too like i Mm. don't have this this vibe i would also state that outside of rick and morty in this first season the other three characters like they give jerry these i don't know about angles the one where they go to pluto and he he's the genius because he says that pluto's a planet or whatever (laughs) uh it's it's funny but uh it still feels i don't say short shrift but it feels like not even secondary especially uh the mother beth and and summer's got some good angles i actually like the needful things episode too uh Mm -hmm. you know i got that you know it's funny but they definitely get more into those characters in the following seasons for sure Um, all right they do all get like very, I mean, by, by the time, you know, it's like the fifth season, I think is coming out. So like by the end of the fourth season, you know, you know, these characters really well and they're definitely fleshed out. And I would say, uh, I would say this, like, I love this first season because I started watching when it was like coming out, but the second season I think is probably better. And then the third season might be even better than that. So. Yeah, it 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 just keeps it just keeps building this one, and, and I'm I'm looking forward to more. All right, well, uh, you know, I, we won't I won't beat the dead horse on this one for my feelings. I mean, uh, to me, I, I I could see myself watching watching more of it, but it won't be on the top of my queue, which means it will probably never get watched because <laughs> there's always fifteen for every one thing you watch, there's fifteen more things to watch. 
And, you know, from that, let's let's take a minute since uh, I don't want to just keep hammering on this and talk about uh, I don't was it Mod- Modoc? I don't Modoc. even know. Modoc. Modoc yeah. from from Mr. Mr. Oswald. So I only watched one episode. I don't think there's really like spoilers on these shows either, but I don't even, I was not familiar of this this character in general. It, it seemed familiar. It looked like Craig to me. Right. Isn't that yeah, right. like like Krang from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. what it made me think of immediately where it's like a like a big big head and baby legs and yeah. he's got a like it looks like the infinity uh and the 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 galactics right or the yeah he was just the head of a galactic right he was uh he was originally a jack kirby creation i believe back in the day and then he's gone through a bunch of different types of iterations from like yeah. being this like pot possible world destroyer to like a complete joke in terms of the comics so i was i was excited to see what Pat oswald and um uh, what the heck's his name? The other guy that worked on it is Jordan Blum did with it. And uh, I I really enjoy it. So I watched the whole, I binged the whole season on the day it came out, I think. And uh, I really enjoyed it. There's a lot of good jokes. I think by the end of the season, the jokes are getting, are revving up and a lot funnier. There are like the last four episodes or so, I feel like I laughed really hard a few times whereas not quite as much in the in the beginning but yeah i i had i had a lot of fun with it pat Oswalt's voice acting is great and there's a ton of other you know recognizable people in this like melissa, melissa fumero is uh his daughter ben schwartz was ben in schwartz there is his son yeah nathan fillion i think is is uh one of the he's a character that you haven't met yet but uh, I, was gonna say, I know the one of the yellow guys is uh richard from veep i always yeah he's his name, great you know, i love that guy <laughs> with the arm falling off i mean i think what i like i what i got into this style wise i just like the style better maybe i like the the art style that was being making me enjoy it more yeah, um, very much robot chicken-esque uh, yes. art style. Seth Green has is like an e- or a producer an EPA or something on this. And I think I, I like you know I've, I saw Patton. I was a fan of the first season of Happy, and I was thinking just in there where you have this like I like Patton Oswalt in this realm more than sometimes I haven't really watched. I know he's on one of the sitcoms on CBS or whatever, and you know some other things that he's done. I have never really got to enjoy him as con- consistently. I you know, he's stand up I've listened to. Um, but this, I know he's writing with some of the black hammer and he's been doing comic writing and I know he's humorous um, and I appreciate it, but I think this was the first time I kind of got to see him. It feel like a star turn where he's kind of like the, the guru of it, you know, in a sense. And then he's also the star of it. And he's like the spirit of the show, which I kind of, responded well to and like yeah the the crag thing made me you know made me laugh i thought the family dynamic of that was much more funny it made me also think of it's just that claymation style and uh and it actually made me think a lot of um the adult swim stuff where they took characters that were in the adult swim you know like space ghost was not a a host, a, a host to start, or Brack, you know, or all these Zorak, all these characters were in like a seventies thing, and they like decide, okay, now we're gonna put them in a sitcom. Like yeah. this is literally like claymation Brack in essence, which is kind of my my wheelhouse. So I, I don't know where Thunderclees is, but I'm ready for him to pop up for <laughs> um for for a little bit of a, a treat for everybody. So yeah, I, I, I this one this one I I will look now. I had to take a break to go back to the Rick and Morty and finish it. This one I think I will will give a significant effort to because of the voices too. It's kind of like Invincible. The recogni- recogn- 
recognizability, the recognition. I don't know what it is, but the amount of recognition that I put into the voices and them being funny, like Ben Schwartz and did you say his name? But I, I don't know why I have a block on his name, but the guy, he was also in uh, Promising Young Woman too. And he's in with, I think you should leave. He's the baby, the baby host, but he's very funny. And I do appreciate, like, I always like the goons thing when they do that joke where like, everyone's a goon. You don't see any of their faces and they look like they're in the hazmat suits and, and Beck Bennett, who I, uh, you know, I think he, the, the boss, you know, whatever is the boss, the tech bro, give me a tech bro. I feel like Rick yeah. Sanchez is like the bad tech bro. <laughs> and this is like the modern, you know, more of the, the asshole modern tech bro, but Sam, Sam Richardson is Sam Richardson. Yeah. Yes. I always think, I always say his name is Richard. So I always say, Richard Sam Richard. Yeah. <laughs> and um, uh John Ham is Iron Man. Of course he is. John Ham John Ham gets around like a record. He's in the Invincible too. I think uh, all these people just must just go from studio to studio or just in the same studio and be like, "You want to read this one too?" Yeah. But this one is good. This one's on Hulu. It's new, pretty new. And I'm sure they're going to do more. And I, I like the vibe here that um that Marvel's hopefully can get this is in the Ragnarok vibe and not in the vibe of most of the other stuff mm-hmm. that Marvel's been doing. So I have a sincere appreciation that I'm hoping that this will allow for some of the more humor filled sides of some of these characters to come out. And it's not just, it might be not as why so serious as DC, but it's why so serious, still why so serious Marvel, the end of the world. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that I, can I do like it. Like, I, I do. I agree. I like the lighter touch that they kind of have with this one, like just kind of joking around and seem well, initially there were supposed to be four Hulu shows, all kind of weird shows. Uh, I think it's, I think it's two of them are canceled, including Howard the duck, but there's a hit monkey show coming out. That's supposed to be like in a similar vein, like just kind of a, a jokey type thing. So we'll see how that comes out. Any reason for that cancellation? I, I actually am a fan of Howard the Duck. So, um, that, no, not really. I mean, they, I, I was I was concerned. I really didn't think that any of these shows were going to see when they started canceling them. But they, I guess, uh, Patton made them see the light. Well, I think it's a lot of their stuff. They want to get it on Disney Plus, probably. Yeah. It's like two R rated for Disney Plus, or you know, that like if they have it animated. They wanted to get it on there, like they're. You know, because that's that's the real. Not that Hulu's not the money, but the 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 growing brand and the they want to have it under the umbrella. But you have to switch apps. That seems to be a friction that will defy all odds for most people. It's mm-hmm. it's not. This is definitely not a kids show either. This is definitely more of a the adult adult variety. So yeah. you know, as Steve said, I'm sure Steve he blew it through and he's giving a recommendation. I will definitely continue on. So uh, we've got. Rick and Morty and we've done our animation duty uh, of, of the last few weeks and uh, hopefully uh, you know I'll come back but I think next week is going to be or next time next episode is going to be some back to the live action probably you know with that we'll just take a quick break and we'll come back with uh, what's on our stacks and close it out All right, so we're back, and we're going to do uh, my favorite segment, which is on the stack, because it means me and Steve have read a bunch of stuff. That's so right. Ahead, no, that's <laughs> right. Yeah, so let me let me get started with this one. I just want to mention, I don't think I, I, I don't think I had read it yet, quite yet, uh, last episode, but just got the final trade of Gideon Falls, Volume 6, The End. 
the Lemire book, the Lemire horror book. And um, it was good. It seemed a little abrupt, but it was solid ending. And the art was, as as usual with Gideon Falls, very good. But I think even some of the best art that there's been in the whole, whole series. So I know you read that one too, Joe. Yeah, that's uh, let's Lemire 12 Monkeys as I'm writing down right here. So, I mean, uh, like I said, and, you know, we usually do this in different order, but we're going to be doing a Lemire episode. And I think we'll kind of tie it together with Gideon Falls and the outcoming Sweet Tooth. You know, if it was... If we were doing episodes based on what I'm reading on a weekly basis, we've basically been doing episodes on his work. On this would be a Jeff basis. Lemire podcast. Yeah, this would be a Jeff <laughs> Lemire uh, Ultracast. So um, we have, we have I have been trying to hold off. We've been building up to it, and we knew that the show was coming, and the end of that series was coming. So I think we're going to kind of do an overall big top five type. We both give our list discussion or a draft or something where we kind of get to show what we really like about him and, and then do it all in one shot. So yeah. it won't be, a, that'll be less spoilers and more of a overall review of a, a career arc, which is something else that I, I really like. Those like, you know, career and reviews type thing. So uh, what else? Is on that and then the other things I've got uh, two other comics. I read Modoc head games after watching the whole series. Uh, it's written by Oswald and Blum, who are the showrunners on the show. Very good. It has it's like a different story than the show, but kind of ties in and uh, is is quite good. And then I've been meaning to read this for a while or start it for a while. But the first three issues of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: The Last Ronin are out. I think it's going to be a five issue miniseries by the end. Another IDW one. Uh, Eastman and Laird are both on a book for the first time in a long time, so that's been really good. The first three episodes are really solid. And then uh, I just wanted to give a shout out to. A, a friend of mine who just put out a book of short stories and that's been getting some good press and stuff uh, called To Drown in Dark Water. Book of horror short stories by a guy named Steve Tose. You can check him out. We'll put a link to all these in the in the liner notes and stuff. But he's been I've I've been I've known him since I was probably twenty something years old on the on these old comics forums, and um, he actually wrote a story for the first compilation you know short story compendium that i put together you know years ago so known him for a while and uh, he's a cool guy so go nice. buy his book buy steve's book another steve uh-huh. support all steves <laughs> sas all right so uh let's see what do we got to, so mentioned uh, a little bit of gideon falls close that out also there was a little four issue run of uh colonel weird cosmogog which is part of the black hammer universe so more lemire with tyler crook as the artist from, I believe, Harrow County and some of the other stuff. Beautiful art. Really, really, really a good spacey kind of Doctor Strange movie type vibe. It's not multiverse but it's a lot of hippie. It feels like a hippie book, but like in a cool <laughs> way, like a space, a space uh, ground control to Major Tom, uh, but Major Weird. So definitely interesting. On the complete opposite side of the spectrum, we've got Immortal Fist Volume 2 and a little bit of 3, which is a Brubaker a Brubaker jam that is very verbose, very serious. I've always, you know, never watched the Immortal Fist show and it's not in any of my wheelhouses. So I've been trying to, you know, expand my horizons on the, the the less or known, but you know, I like those Japanese style, you know, lone wolf and cub and I love sword films. And I, this, this comic book is about kind of like a tournament, but it's the buildup and it's the history and this, kind of a building of universe it's it's pretty good but i'd say it's a little bit of a slog um pretty good art um not brubaker's best work but interesting definitely more internal less action more internal and like about 
the generations and uh, and stuff. So eh, whatever. Sixth Gun uh, was a Colin Bunn work. I think it's actually from like eight or nine years ago. And I don't know if it got re-released or something, but it's kind of a role Western type story where each gun has like a specific skill or whatever. And they're like, they like rifle guns and not rifle guns, the little handguns. But you know, when you flick back the, the little hammer, I don't know mm-hmm. what you'd call that, but old style, kind of a little uh, steampunky, like you said, started the Eternals, Neil Gaiman, because we may try to touch on that when it gets to the Eternals time. Um, I'm also reading, I, I always need to have a little Tom King in there. So there's, uh, <laughs> I found one of the Tom Payne books on Hoopla. So that's, you know, give me a little Joker, Riddler, you know, mix it up a little bit. Uh, and then, I know Steve said he's not a fan of these generally, but I thought this was pristine, real good. The comic adaptation of Slaughterhouse-Five. And generally, I prefer to tell people, oh, yeah, read the book. Now, this is reading the book and seeing the visuals. Uh, This is, I think, probably one of the best use case examples for something that it's almost hard to imagine. Kurt Vonnegut's writing has such depth and spaciness that this is really just quite a beautiful work. And the art is by Albert Montez. I'm not familiar with his work otherwise. And the writers, Ryan North, well, the comic writer is really an editor, you know, picking the panels or whatever, but he won an Eisner award as well. So really good, really sleek book. Art is beautiful. And obviously I love Onigate. Great story. Great, great book. So good. And the last one I'll go with, this is more COVID coverage. I am a big Michael Lewis fan. So the new Michael Lewis book is, um, horrifying yet amazing it's about kind of how there were some people that were pressing about covid and we may have been ignoring them basically and um he you know this is the guy who did big short and the guy who wrote uh, liars poker and you know Moneyball. so he has this kind of look back at the world's you know 2020 hindsight a bit so the connective tissue feels a little forced but he's just such a snappy writer for whatever he's writing his last book was about the undoing project was about two of my also favorite authors, the um, Conovan and Tversky, who kind of set behavioral economics out there. So if you want something that's kind of a good, cur- a, a story told about people, but that you learn something about kind of the foundation of something or the government, Michael Lewis uh, is always good at that. So that's it for me. Steve, uh, any thoughts on those before uh, we close it out? No, I mean, I'm, I, I am actually, I kind of, I don't, like I probably mentioned this a couple of times, but I don't normally read a ton of uh, superhero books, but I was interested in the War of Jokes and Riddles uh, Batman book that Tom King's working on, so maybe I'll have to pick that up and check it out. I only read one issue, but uh, I will be finishing it tonight, probably. Yeah, Last nice. night was a long night. Uh, I, we didn't get our picture, but if we were together, Steve and I were together, we met for the first time in real life. We should. IRL, yeah, well, hold on. So, yeah. But yeah, we should have we gotten a picture. We I thought about it. Uh, yeah, I uh, didn't do it. So oh, wow. next time, uh, you know, you guys will have the privilege of, of seeing us in a picture at a bar. Um, <laughs> right. All right, so let's just do a sum up. We're going to do next episode. Like I said, we're going to do kind of a... We're going to call it a Lemurathon. I don't know, top five lists. You know, some of the books that I'm sure will get touched on will include Royal City, Essex County, Black Hammer. We'll probably do a Gideon Falls kind of sum up. And I don't want to spoil all the other pieces and lists that, uh, you know, but I, I, uh, I have a huge. And then we'll probably do some coverage of Sweet Tooth, whether it's the full season or at least half the season. And then on the second episode next month, we're going to do uh, at least on the reading side, Blue and Green by Ram V and Anand RK. Is that right, Steve? Mm-hmm. You got it yep. here. Yep. Uh, six issue trade one shot. I have no idea what this is, but I know Steve has been talking about this Ram V for 
for a hot second. So I am excited to check that out. And I, I feel like at that point, maybe maybe a little Modoc somewhere in there too. I'm sh- maybe Black Widow by then. Who, who knows? So that's a little <laughs> July. We'll we'll figure it out. There's something to watch. There's something to read. Yeah, any, we'll see. Any, anything else you you got to throw in there, Steve? No, I don't think so. I think that's going to do it for us over here. We, uh... All right. All right. So until then, keep reading. I am Joe Soria, and Steve is going to edit this into being a better podcast. So hopefully you enjoyed it. Have a good one. All right. Later. Yeah, it's the same music as at the beginning. Our buddy Chris Morgan did it. The intro's so nice, we used it twice. What? You want show credits over here? Alright. I was your production manager, Steve Ramosi. Still am, I guess. And the other guy was the brains of the whole operation, Joe Soria. We want to thank you for tuning in, and we hope we see you on the next episode. Uh, Goodbye! Great timing.